Right, well, we're in a Mark's Gospel, so if you want to get a Bible, there'll be one in front of you, a little green one. And um, you need to find uh, Mark chapter 9. So if you're kind of new to a Bible, uh, Mark's in the New Testament, and we want chapter 9, and... Didn't put the verses up. But we're going to start at verse 30. Um, and that is on page 1013. And if you can't find it, just give the person next to you their, your Bible and take theirs. It's fine. Okay, so Mark's Gospel. Um, so it's one of the, we know it's one of the earliest uh, Gospels that was written. And Mark's gospel pretty much breaks into two parts. So you've got the first part, which is all about Jesus' miracles. It's like, ooh, you know, who is this guy? Who's he going to be? Ooh, there's a demonstration of this and demonstration of that. And he's healing people and he's casting out demons and he's meeting with tax collectors and sinners. And it's all kind of around this question of who, who is he? Who is he? Who is he? Who is he? And the climax, of course, comes bang in the middle where Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of God, okay? So then, bam, we're into something completely different because now you know, well, what are you going to do about it? So the second half is, okay, all right, so this is Jesus. What does it mean to follow him? And it's harder, I feel, the second half because it, it um, sometimes feels a bit darker, because we're heading towards the cross now. And, every, and the kind of tone of it changed. You know, we have that pick up your cross and follow me. It's like, okay, well now we're going to go and do this. And so it can be harder to read, can't it? It can be harder. You know, it's not a jolly little, oh, and he healed someone and they skipped off home. But no, it's like, get your cross, come follow me. Um, So last year, we did that first half, and if you missed it, you can find it online. All our talks can be found online. So um, we've talked a lot about maybe, well, I've talked quite a bit about just putting the best ones up. But no, you can find some of my really bad ones there too, so you'll be fine. (laughs) And we're currently in the center in 8, 9, 10. And this is the bit where Jesus kind of huddles down with his disciples. He says, come, 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 let's hide. He's almost hiding. And it's time to choose. Are you for me or against me? Three times in these sections, we're going to hear Jesus say that he's going to be betrayed. He'll be rejected. He'll be killed. And he will rise again. That's important. And he will will rise again. And three times we'll hear him say that, and almost three and a half, because he also mentions the rising again a fourth time. And this is interspersed with Jesus' teachings on, okay, I'm going to go and do this. You have to follow me, and this is what it means. And it's contrasted with what the disciples think it means, okay? So he's explaining, this is what it means to follow me. This is what I, who I am, da, da, da. And, and we contrast that with, huh? <laughs> no. And we had that, didn't we, with Peter? No, that shall never happen. That did not work out well for Peter. So let's have a little look. We're going to read it in um, three little stages together, uh, starting at verse 
30, and we're just going to do the first seven, and then we'll talk about those, and then we'll do the next bit, and we'll talk about that, and then we'll do the next bit. Okay, so the first bit. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were. Because he was teaching his disciples, he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant, and they were afraid to ask him about it. The fear, just think, just a side note, I'd be frightened. Look what happened to Peter last time. <laughs> you are not going to ask him what this means if you don't understand. You're not going to say, oh, does it mean this? Get behind me. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what are you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way... They had argued about who was the greatest. So here's our contrast, okay? We're getting in there. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be the first must be the very last and the servant of all. And he took a little child who he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. And we read in John's gospel, the one who sent him is God the Father. <clears throat> so we've got this second declaration of who, what Jesus is going to do. Going to the cross, going to be betrayed. And the disciples, we've been saying, are um, trying to work out what that means. Now, I wonder for you, if you've ever entered something that you believe to be one thing, but actually it turns out to be something else. So it could be a course you've started, and suddenly most of the course is about something you don't even like, but you wanted to do it because of that one little thing. It could be a relationship that you've entered into, maybe a marriage, and you think, not quite what I had in mind, but... This is what we've got. <laughs> or it could be a job. You know, we, sometimes we take jobs. I remember my brother taking a job. At, he was convinced it was, he's an engineer, and it was engineering, and it had sales. But he said, oh, but the sales bit, I'm not very good at that, but it's only a tiny bit. But when he got there, the whole job was basically sales. Well, he didn't last very long. It wasn't really his thing. And the disciples, you can imagine, so far, they've entered into this thing with Jesus, and it's been amazing you can imagine the crowds, the fame, uh, the, the people that are clamoring to see Jesus and them. They've gone on and they've done what Jesus has asked them to do. So they've gone into villages. Ha, ah, we're here. We come in Jesus' name. Yes, I will heal you and I will cast the steam out. Everything is really good. And this is what they've signed up for. They are imagining a future kingdom, aren't they? And we, we've got to forgive them for this because look at the kingdoms that have come before with David and Solomon. They've been about power. They've been kingdoms that have annihilated their enemies. They are about kingdoms that are successful uh, politically and financially. They have influence in the world. So what have they got to go on? And they perhaps are assuming that these signs that Jesus has been performing are kind of 
just kind of signs of God's approval. It's not maybe the actual deal, but just sort of this is God's approval. And that maybe Jesus' words are a bit like Solomon's. They're just wise words to ponder on and philosophize about in the future. But Jesus' kingdom is other to this. Jesus has been really open. He's demonstrated the kingdom values. But now he begins to come and talk about servanthood and suffering. And that perhaps is not what they've signed up for. And that's why their reactions are so strong against Jesus. What? This can't be. They discuss, what does he mean about rising from the dead? Well, I was just thinking, well, maybe he means that he'll be put in prison, but then he'll miraculously break out, and it will be as if he's risen from the dead. And you can see this because the other things that Jesus taught, like the seeds in the ground, he takes them and says, oh, the seed is the word of God. Oh, you haven't fully seen what's going on. I wasn't talking literally. I was talking in a picture. But here he is talking literally, and they are looking for the picture. And of course they are. And this isn't perhaps what they signed up for. Perhaps they think like a politician that holds babies and visits factories on the campaign before, that afterwards that won't be something that Jesus does or they do anymore. Perhaps they'll be part of the government and minor people down here will be going to, you know, visit the factories or sort things out on the grounds as they sit in government deciding on policies. But Jesus says something shocking, doesn't he? In verse 35, sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be last and the servant of all. And Jesus will be the servant of all. As he says, even the Son of Man didn't come to serve, but to be served, but to serve and give his life. He will be the servant of all. And then there's this idea that Jesus goes on about welcoming He takes a child. Imagine that in the home, you're in a Middle Eastern home. It isn't like here. (laughs) Kids don't play in a playroom and they don't go to bed at six. Okay, what they do is they're all in the same room. The kids eventually pass out around you on chairs. Sort of carried off, maybe not, maybe, maybe they will, maybe they won't. They're fully in it. And Jesus, well, what can I use to describe this? Aha, I'll use this child. When we think about welcoming, um, our, our, our thoughts might go to unwelcoming on the door. Oh, welcome. Ah, oh, my job's done. I'm off now. Finished. But that isn't the welcoming that Jesus is talking about. If you welcome someone into your home, saying, come into my home. Imagine this picture, Middle Eastern culture, welcoming. You can't do enough for them. You sit down with them. You fellowship with them. You are equal with them. When they're in your house, they're under your protection. And we've got lots of examples in that in the Bible, haven't we? Where they, they take the protection of the visitor very seriously to the point that they would elevate the visitor above themselves. We've got pictures of that which you might be aware of. 
And Jesus says in his uh, parables about going into the street corners and inviting to the banquet anyone you can find. He's saying anyone can be welcomed in, anyone at all. And more than that, go out and welcome people. And he does this within the context of who is the greatest. That's what they've been discussing. He knows what they have been discussing. You're going to welcome someone in who has nothing to offer you. And that is why in church tradition, we see church communities setting up hospitals and caring for the poor. In our community, we are doing breakfast club and we're working with other churches to serve those that don't have homes in our community. It's all part of this umbrella of welcoming people into the kingdom, of serving them, of putting them before ourselves. In Jesus' kingdom and God's creation... No one is more important than another. Jesus says, when you befriend the least, verse 37, when you welcome them, you does not welcome me, but the one who sent me, God. So on this topic, I've got a little thing to play for you. (laughs) I hope this works. Here we go. Now, you might or may not be able to read that, but I'm going to play it to you. Okay. You know, what does that actually look like when you're surrounded by such suffering? I met this guy uh, who was uh, lying on the side with God, not me. It's not my kingdom, it's God's. Because it's really easy for us to talk about finding Jesus among the poor. But, you know, what does that actually look like when you're surrounded by such suffering? I met this guy uh, who was uh, lying on the sidewalk, uh, drunk as a skunk, out of it, a homeless man, uh, addict, why north? 25 years on the street. You can't look at somebody like that and say, this is Jesus. It isn't Jesus. It's Mark and he's drunk. You can't say, oh, come to my church. You can't do that to somebody who's in another world. You can't say, oh, get a job at McDonald's or join AA. All you can do is knowing and believing, as I do, that in every single one of us, there is a seed of God. There is a divine spark. But we can't bring that out. But what we can do is accompany the people on their journey. I came to love the old wino. I came to love these women in prostitution. They were my sisters, my brothers. I'm not here uh, to, to tell you about Jesus. I'm here to discover the Christ in you, the God in you, and to nurture our relationships so that you come to believe it yourself and to know that once you are loved and honored, you're all, maybe, maybe God, there is a God. Maybe, maybe God is in me, uh, like Edwina says. And I've seen that happen. These people, you know, God is already there. And what we do through our relationship and connection and friendship is we help to surface that sense of God in these, in these beautiful people. Yeah. 
I just, um, I love the way she puts it because she puts it in such a good northern accent. I love the bit where she just goes, no, it's Mark and he's drunk. <laughs> I love it. It's just so encouraging. But as a church, you know, we need to remember that. Sometimes we think, you know, we're called to go and we're going with so, you know, we've got, we're going to help you. And actually to remember that, yes, we've got stuff to share, but God is already there. And we come and we serve because they're made in the image of God. They have value. And that's what we want people to understand when we're offering hospitality, when we're offering shelter to these people who maybe don't have a home, that they have value and they're loved. What did they say? Something like, I don't want to go in there. You're just going to tell me about God. Actually, I'm going to show you about God because I'm going to love you and I'm going to listen to you and I'm going to build value in you because you're valuable to God. So let's look at the next bit, 38 to 48. Teacher said, John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name. And we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said. For no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly, I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their rewards. If anyone causes one of these little ones who have believed in me to stumble, <clears throat> so stumble is um, kind of to fall away or to you know, to put something in the way of them in some way. It would be better for them to have a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. <clears throat> and um, these guys would have known what that looked like because they did that in those days. If your hand causes you to stumble, again, that same word, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go to hell. And that word being, being Gehenna, that kind of rubbish dump around Jerusalem. So it would have been the place where ancient kings of Israel had worshipped idols and sacrificed children into the fire. And there's nothing good in that area. And so they make it a rubbish dump that just burns rubbish all the time. And that's the picture that Jesus is using. They really know what that is. He names it. Where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell, Gehenna. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell or on the rubbish dump. Where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. We'll stop there. Now John here picks up on this in the name. He's thinking, don't know what's going on. <laughs> I don't know if you feel like that. I do. But Jesus says, 
uh, little children in my name welcomes me. He says, oh, in the name. I know something about in the name. So he says, you know, I've seen someone. They've been doing this. They've been performing miracles in your name. And if you do something in someone's name, it's not like we get a bit used to, in the name of Jesus, amen. But actually, to do something in the name is like, in the name of the king, stand aside. You're doing something in his name. And that's why when we take the Lord's name in vain, it can often be what we're doing. People know we're a Christian and we're doing it. We're bringing, we're saying, I'm doing this in Jesus' name. That's bringing shame on God. Making people turn away from God, stumble. So the disciples are concerned that someone who isn't them, he's not one of the 12, maybe not one of 72, and they found him and he's going around, he's casting out demons in Jesus' name. And I sort of think about this and I can imagine it. So I was thinking, oh, imagine if there was someone down in the, down in the center of town now and they had this massive super van and they were giving out soup to people and saying, oh, bless you. Um, but above their head, there's a massive banner that said, uh, from Portswood Church. But we didn't have a clue who they were. We're probably going to want to stop them, aren't we? Because, <laughs> like, mm, I'm not sure what you're doing it in my name if I don't know who you are. You could be crazy. <laughs> so, they've got, you can understand it, can't you? We don't know who they are. But Jesus not so concerned folks just like there's two camps here for me against me two camps folks with me against me Christian tradition great at building our own little kingdoms we had Pharisees and Sadducees then in Corinth, Paul talks to those guys that say, oh, I follow Apollos, I follow Peter, blah, blah, blah. Then we split east and west. Then let's do denominations, let's fragment, let's all build our own little, little empires, our own little traditions. But in the kingdom, you know, it's not about a membership list. It's not a secret handshake. It's not a uniform we wear. Jesus offers welcome and receives and shows hospitality to anyone who begins to recognize who he is and wants to follow him. Nobody gets a monopoly of Jesus and nothing that we do is missed. Look at what he says about even a cup of water in my name. Sometimes perhaps we feel like, mm, well, I don't do much. I'm not really very good. I'm not like that person. That person's doing all these great things. I've just done this. But Jesus says, no. Even the smallest thing in my name, for my glory, I'm going to celebrate. That's my daughter. That's my son. And look what they just did. They said hello to that person. Look at my son, look at my daughter. They smiled today at that person they walked past. Look at that person, my son, my daughter, that said, oh, I'll do coffee, I'll do that, or I'll go across the road and get something, or I'll, I'll go and sit with some homeless people for a night, or I, I can welcome them. The smallest thing, I know for me, I'm saying, oh, I really, I just, 
You know, I'd love to do this. I'd love to do that. I'd love to do great things in the kingdom. But Jesus, no, 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 no. The great things are these tiny things and nothing gets missed. No one gets to represent him exclusively. And he talks here about 42. He says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, so you think, "Mm, little ones, what do we mean? And little ones are like less experienced. It can mean a child, but it can mean someone of lower rank, interestingly enough, when when you take the topic of what he's talking about. These little ones, those who believe in me to stumble. And I was thinking, oh, well, Maybe these guys that start to cast out demons are those little ones. They're just having a go. Their first time discovering that Jesus can do stuff. And instead of going, hey guys, let's tell you some more about Jesus, they're like, hello? We've got to stop that. This is us. This is our bit. We're, we're doing this. We're with Jesus. I don't know who you're with. Hmm, it's not where Jesus is at. And we can do that, can't we? We don't want to be the people who set up barriers that say, "Mm, I'm not sure you're ready for Jesus yet, or to judge people and think, "Mm, are you really following Jesus? If you've not said this prayer or believe that doctrine, if you're not following this church tradition, Jesus says, hmm, worry rather about yourself. Because he uses the same word, stumble. What's getting in the way? What's getting in the way? What's getting in the way? He says, don't get in the way of them following me, but also anything that stops you getting following me. What's getting in the way of you and me? What's leading your life to a rubbish dump? It reminded me a little bit of taking the log out of your eye first. Jesus' kingdom simple. In, out. For me or against me. Ain't no middle ground. And sometimes we don't like to hear it because we're like, mm, cutting off stuff. Well, Jesus is not literal here. Otherwise, we'd all be eyeless. I'd be footless, armless. We'd be headless. It's never going to work. But Jesus is pushing the issue. So I want you to decide you're in or you're out. Stop worrying about whether they're in or out. Worry about yourself. Sin's a heart issue, we know that. And we can't see people's hearts unless you've got something I haven't got. And we need something to deal with our heart that's more than our external. We don't need to cut it out, we need it loved out. If we think of stumbling as to let anything come between you and God, then we can start to have a little bit of a think. On, the, on that thing of exclusion, I can remember when I went to Bible college, they kind of make you go to a different tradition. And I was, a, I was someone who'd stuck in the same tradition. You know, I brought up brethren evangelical my whole life, still in there. And so they sent me to a Russian Orthodox church. Interesting. They sent me to uh, uh, probably what we call now Fresh Expressions. And it was really interesting for me to get in there and judge them and maybe chuckle about them (coughs) afterwards when I got back to college to ridicule what they were doing. But what I learned was to see their love for Jesus, 
their heart for Jesus, the way that that fresh expressions of church served the community they were in was astounding. And it taught me something very significant about judging before I've met and lived what they're doing. And we can do that with other things as well. Before you've lived that person's life, you haven't got a clue. Jesus wants us united. He wants us to remove the stuff that gets between us and God, but also each other. And that's why he finishes with peace. They're all about, I'm up here, you're down there. Jesus says, that's not the kingdom. You're all on the same You're all on the flat together, and I want to bring you together with me. And if we don't think about the stuff like this, we might find that we are the thing that needs removing. So let's look at the very last little verse. Very last little verse. says at 49, everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Have salt amongst yourselves and be at peace with each other. So he concludes with the peace when they've started with the against. Salt, well, this is a great verse. (laughs) Everyone will be salted with fire. And I've read a lot of stuff on this. Ooh, we've had purgatory from this. We've got trials and temptations, which I guess many people. We've had offerings rubbed with salt and offered in a burnt offering before the Lord. But I thought, um, you can think about it later. You can have a good chat about that. But I thought I'd go to Malachi, which is just a little bit back, only a tiny bit back. If you go back, you go through Matthew, and it's Malachi, basically. It's very tiny. And I want you to find uh, Malachi chapter 3. And in Malachi, uh, he's talking about what nullifies their offerings, makes them useless, a waste of time. Don't even bother coming into my house. And stuff he puts up are abuse of, well, I think, abuse of wives. You're not protecting them and loving them. Injustice defrauding workers, taking advantage of widows and foreigners, occult practices, and not giving to God what he deserves in their tithes and offering. And in it, chapter 3, verse 2, he's talking about what he's going to do about it. And in 2, he says, But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. Um, he, will, he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. Um, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, you can read that at home. I think he's talking about the Messiah coming to purify them, to refine them, to remove this stuff from them, the stuff that is the stumbling block, the stuff that is in the way, the stuff that's getting between them and God. 
And the Messiah will come and remove anything that is in the way. And we know that that cross is what removes. Maybe the soap is the cross. But what of the fire? There's a fire that rested on the disciples, isn't there? On their heads in the upper room as they offered themselves to God. The Holy, Holy Spirit filling them with that saltiness. The salt that gave them flavor. The salt that gave their words power that convinced people of who Jesus was. It changed their hearts with their willingness to serve the poor to suffer incredibly for Jesus in absolute contrast to where they are in 8, 9, and 10 of Mark's gospel when they don't want anything to do with it. I think all humans have this spark of God because we're made in the image of God. And the Holy Spirit comes on us. It's like there's a blazing fire that fills us and purifies us and changes us. It's his spirit that sanctifies us. That's the big word, isn't it? For changing us to become more like Jesus. And we're told by Jesus to be filled. That word continuous. To keep being filled by the Holy Spirit. And not to try anything without him. So we're just going to stop there. There's lots to go and chew over, I think. But if you're one of those people that think this morning, I'm not sure what side I'm on, Jesus doesn't offer us a middle place. We are for him or against him. And we might not know much. The disciples understood pretty much nothing. The guys casting out demons, I don't know what they knew. But they knew that Jesus, he was powerful. He was more than just a man. He was someone worth following. And as we look at the cross, we see that he's the man who died in our place. He's the man who loved us. And he is a man that rose from the dead, showing he was more than just a man, more than just a prophet that he was the son of God. So you don't need an entrance exam to start following Jesus. But he doesn't have a middle ground. So let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you love us so much. And that you love everyone. I thank you that we stumble all the time, but we're still following. Thank you that we don't have to have all the answers. Sometimes we've got loads of questions, but we're following. We're on your side. And Jesus, we just commit ourselves again to you today. We believe you are the Son of God. We believe your words are worth listening to. 
and we know we need you. Holy Spirit, we need you because we don't always love. Our natural reaction is to judge, to condemn, to put down, to elevate ourselves. So Holy Spirit, help us become more like Jesus and to love and to love and to love. In Jesus' name, we want to do this. Amen.